0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Deep Water Bottom Dropping, and I'm going to be talking to Captain Rick Croson of Living Waters Guide Service out of the Wrightsville Beach area. We'll be covering such topics as what the bottom looks like, how to fish the structure, and what to use. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now here in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post saltwater podcast series. And it is in this podcast series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast, ask them to share with us their knowledge, their insights, On how to catch more fish more often but albeit i think the more nobler goal is just for you to gather your friends and family and get you out on the water spending more time together more often Um, i'm joined in this episode i'm joined in this effort every episode every week with my podcast partner billy thorpe of thorpe creative how you doing billy
1: Gary, i'm doing good man good to see you looking looking nice in your fancy shirt little
0: I'm I'm trying to be unpredictable. My wife says <laughs> I'm too predictable, and I said, oh, yeah, watch this.
1: Watch this. I'm going to throw away the polo, and I'm going to pull out the old Western shirt. <laughs> no
0: T-shirt, no polo. I'm buttoning up the Western.
1: Well, oh, sounds good, man. It looks good, sounds good. You been doing any fishing lately?
0: Man, I go fishing all the time, man. I'm, I never work. I'm fishing all the time.
1: I know, man. I, you know, I heard rumors about that before I met you, but I, now I know you. I know it's true, so. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I, yeah,
0: I'm. <laughs> I'm all, that's the glamour of Fisherman's Post. It's not that I'm working behind a computer, or putting in long weekly hours, I'm fishing all the time.
1: Well, that sounds good, man. Well, and it's partly because of our sponsors that you can do that, Gary, <laughs> that you can just be on the water all the time. So I'm gonna give a shout out to to R.A. Hitch really quickly here. Uh, we got Raleigh Apex Hitch, so R.A. Hitch. We got hitches, trailers, bike racks, all kinds of stuff. A really nice website, as Gary always likes to point out. Uh, so go visit Chris and his team. Mention the Fisherman's Post podcast, save twenty bucks on your next purchase there. And you, you were there? Were you in the store? Or were you just calling to check on some things?
0: Um, I reached out to him and just wanted to follow up on what they sold, man. You know, I think a, a really nice guy. I think he f- spends a fair amount of his fishing time in the Atlantic Beach, Moorhead City area. And, uh, yeah, I think I, the reason I point out the website is I'm imagining that this podcast is reaching people, you know, near and afar. And so it doesn't matter whether you're near and afar. You can certainly find what you're looking for on his website, and he'll ship it out to you.
1: Yeah, awesome, man. And be sure to mention Fish Post for 20 bucks off as well. Please mention Fish Post. And then one of our longest-standing sponsors for the show, which we really appreciate these guys, Marine Warehouse Center. I got a quick video from these guys. We'll be right back
2: hey it's Roddy with marine warehouse center in wilmington and charleston we are headquarters for pair custom boats these center consoles are handmade in washington north carolina and are custom designed for fishing and family fun on the water right now we have several models in stock and deal times on the custom orders are around five months these boats are custom built to fit your needs from the seating the tops the leaning posts and the live wells. you design the entire layout of your boat come by and see for yourself why they're one of the fastest growing boat builders in the country
0: Yeah, man, it's boat time.
1: It's boat time. Go get your custom boat. You gonna give me a custom boat, Gary, for Christmas?
0: I'm I'm thinking about it. I don't wanna, I don't wanna show my cards. I don't want to give you a hard yes or a hard no.
1: All right. Well, I won't <laughs> hold my breath, then.
0: But uh, those guys are busy all the time. But they're busy because they're good. And this is where I point out sales, service, boat parts. They got it all. They kill it. However, speaking of killing it. Terrell and his jokes, I wouldn't put on the same level. I mean, this one's not bad, though, and I'm usually down on them, so I'm saying this one's not bad. All right. Not Comedy Central worthy, you don't think? I don't know. You tell me. All right. But i just like to be clear. This is Terrell's joke, not Gary Hurley's joke. Did you hear the story of the illiterate fisherman? No. Um, He was lost at sea. Yeah?
1: sure <laughs> it's Terrell, and he's writing us checks it was hilarious
0: <laughs> yeah you're good I, I i break them down you build them up and i right? think hopefully we keep them on
1: <laughs> right that's per- this is a good strategy <laughs> what not to do on your podcast sponsorships <laughs> tell bad jokes and blame what? it on them <laughs>
0: no they're great guys man but i tell you what instead of a fish joke I would love to see a fish photo.
1: Yeah, let me pull one up here for you. We got Mary Lynn Pericom. Pericom? I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, with a trigger fish hooked on a hand-tied chicken rig in 100 feet of water while bottom fishing out of Bogue Inlet. That is a nice-looking trigger fish. I've never caught a trigger fish, Gary. I know, I think one time that, I think one time you went on a trip and, like, caught like uh, over 99 I, oh 99 i, I got 99
0: trigger fish
1: i was like i remember that trip i remember you coming back to the office like oh look at all these fish i was like holy smokes dude i and think there. what got me is
0: like that's all we caught i've never been bottom fishing <laughs> where you only catch one species and only one species and i'm sitting here like freaking out going how come this is the only thing we're catching and the captain made her like why are you freaking out man we said we're gonna go catch trigger fish you know that's what caught me in part but that trigger fish, 100 feet of water, our guest today, Rick Crossman, he's going to talk about deeper water. We're going to go out a little bit deeper than 100 feet, 100 feet f- with talking with Rick.
1: Yeah, I'm excited, man. Rick, Rick was, uh, of all the fishing trips I've been on, which I can't play favorites because of the space that we play in here, but... Don't you do it. It was one of my favorites. <laughs> all right, you can say one of your favorites. <laughs> one of my favorites. Uh, it was Yeah, dude, it was fun. I mean, that, dude, it was work, though. It was eight hours of, like, catch, or I don't know how many hours, but we are catching tuna. Jigging his work, popping Ryan. his work. But, dude, whatever he said, he ca- I mean, he called it. I think I said that last show he was on. But, anyway, I'm going to let you get to the fun stuff, Gary.
0: All right, we'll get to the fun stuff. But before I get to the fun stuff, Billy... You know, I want you to pay attention to Rick because at the end of my conversation with him, I'm coming back to you. I want to know Billy's best takeaway. Billy's best takeaway today. You got it?
1: You got it, man. I'm taking notes.
0: So now, without further ado, I welcome to the show, I welcome back to the show, Captain Rick Croson of Living Waters Guide Service out of Wrightsville Beach. We're going to be talking deep water bottom fishing. How's it going, Rick?
2: Oh, it's going great, Gary. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man, always a treat to talk to you. It looks like you're back in your shop. It looks like you got some busy stuff behind you. You're in season. You're fishing when the wind allows. And we appreciate you making time to talk about deep water bottom fishing, what the bottom looks like, how to fish the structure, what to use. But as is tradition on the Fisherman's Post podcast, you've got two questions, two questions to answer before we get to the main event. And I know you're ready, but it's still out of courtesy. I'm going to say, are you ready, Rick Croson? Um, uh, yes. (laughs) No questions about skinning a black fin. I can promise you that. So go ahead and be at ease. No questions about what the sound of skinning a black fin tuna sounds like, but we're going to move in another direction. Number one, why should we listen to anything you have to say about bottom fishing?
2: That's a great question, Gary. Um, I mean, even, I don't know other than, um, I keep stumbling over places to catch bottom fish that are new that are not being overfished. And uh, uh, other than the fact that I'm catching fish that nobody else seems to find, um, I think that's a good reason to listen.
0: I think that's a good reason. All right. Question number two, as is tradition is a non fishing related question and non fishing related question. So in my mind, I thought to myself, deep water, we're going to be out at least 200 feet, probably mm-hmm. more, but at least 200 feet. So my question revolves around 200 feet. So I'm going to ask you some questions. What are these things? Are these things greater than 200 feet or less than 200 feet? You ready? Okay. The wingspan of a 747. Greater than. Yes, it is. 225 feet. A giant sequoia, California tree. Greater than. Yeah, it's about 250 feet. Three bowling lanes added together. Less than. Man, you're killing it. Yeah, it's like 188 feet. Last question: Ten giraffes stacked on top of each other. Greater than. No, it was a trick question. It's actually the same. It's two hundred feet. Oh. They're roughly. They're calling it twenty feet. At least the website I looked at called them twenty feet. So ten of them is right. A tie. I want to recount. <laughs> no, I, I put a tie in there just in case you killed it like you did. But let's move on to the main event. Let's talk about deep water bottom fishing, and what the bottom looks like. I think that's where we're starting. I mean, I know. I'm looking forward to anything you have to say. I always do. So start us off, Captain Rick.
2: Okay. <clears throat> so I spend 99% of my days on what we call the break. Okay. So um, when we refer to the break, we're actually talking about the edge of the continental shelf um, where um, our slow sloping coastline out of Wrightsville beach finally starts to get deep. Okay. Um, and, When we refer to the break, that usually starts at about 180 foot and goes to about 350 foot. And then we have stair steps past that. Okay, Um, And when you're trolling for pelagics, you're typically trolling over structure, um, the same structure that is on the break. And people know this as uh, popular places like the same old or the steeples, uh, the big rock off Moorhead. Um, These are rocks that are associated with the edge of the continental shelf. Okay. Um, But um, what people don't really realize is even if you don't have a big rock on the edge of the shelf there, what you do find is a lot of mud. And mud uh, allows bottom fish to burrow and create their own kind of substructure inside this uh, mud fall, for instance. Okay. Um, and that's what I've been targeting the last seven or eight years, um, trying to figure out how to catch the bottom fish that, that do exist. Um, even though we're not fishing traditional structure, like a ledge or coral bottom, um, or, you know, or a hole, you know, like you would normally find in, in say 80 to 120 feet of water.
0: Okay. I follow that. So You know, in my limited knowledge, in that 80, 100 feet, we're looking at more sand expanse, but you're saying the sand doesn't really exist out there on the break like it does inshore? It is more mud and it is more potential productive?
2: Correct. So. <clears throat> you're exactly right. Basically inshore, uh, all the way from the beach out to the edge of the continental shelf, it's a main sand bottom. So if you think about it, I've talked about this before, if you think about the bottom being, uh, just a giant sandy desert and the structure that, um, that holds all the fish, um, is out of that sand and hard that, uh, and allows like coral and grasses and stuff like that to grow to it. And that creates the ecosystem that attracts bait and then predators. Um, and it gives structure, um, a place to, to hunt and hide and, um, grow, you know, as species, um, spawn, it it allows, you know, a place for that species to grow. Um, when you get to the break, you lose the sand and you start uh, gaining mud um, it doesn't shift as much. The bottom stays about the same all the time. Whereas inshore, if we get a, a hurricane or a big Northeaster or something that sand can shift and cover bottom and uncover bottom. And so it's kind of always changing near shore. The offshore stuff is pretty much um, a living mud bottom. Um, and you have to think about it in different terms. Um, it, does that kind of make sense?
0: Yeah, man, that makes sense. And so I guess the you're getting ready to move into more detail on it, but like uh, the thought comes like you can still bottom fish on ledges. You can still battle fish those rocks, those areas that you just named that people know about. However, that gets all the attention. So what you want is you want to look for places other than the places that get all the attention, which would be more the mud habitat.
2: That's right. Well, okay. So there's two, there's two things that I've learned over the last seven or so years doing this. And I have this, um, this is a picture uh, from my bottom machine. Um, this is a, a piece of structure uh, near the same hole. Okay. Um, and it clearly shows a very fast decline in the bottom. It shows, um, well, for one thing, it shows a bunch of amber jacks and then these big marks here, sharks. Um, but it shows how fast the bottom falls off. and it, And based on how thick this red is, this is rock that's coming out of the mud and as it comes back down you can tell this is more of a mud bottom okay Um, this is kind of traditional ledge um, bottom what I would what I would consider ledge bottom this is rock and coral and the fish are gonna be in a in a group ecosystem okay so the best way to fish this will be to anchor up or to to drift over it but basically you're you're positioning your baits from here to here along this edge and it's a more of a vertical edge okay this is what you'd find inshore in a in a smaller degree um you know in 80 to 120 foot of water this could be anywhere from say four foot to 20 foot Um, offshore obviously it's much bigger uh, but this is this is traditional style bottom and what i'm looking for is not traditional bottom i'm looking for bottom like this So,
0: so why are you not looking for traditional bottom before you tell me about what you like about that? Or I guess it's connected.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So for one reason, I'm not looking for traditional bottom is it's hard to fish when there's a lot of current. When you're in the, when you're on the edge of the Gulf stream on the break, um, the current, whether it's going North or South, whether we're in an eddy or whether, whether the actual Gulf stream is next to the break, when the current hits that, it creates a huge upwelling okay great place to find pelagics and a great place to troll great place to jig and pop the problem with bottom fish they're going to be in a very very small window of opportunity you're going to get one shot at putting a bait next to a fish in that zone and you really need to anchor up to fish that bottom correctly um you may drift across and get a bite but the, the ability to keep your baits in the strike zone is very very tough um so that's why I'm looking for more mud bottom because it gives me a longer strike zone and it, it lets me target fish that are not seen by everybody else that that's out there and, and crosses that big piece of bottom. I follow. All right. So let me diagram kind of what this is. Basically this is a slow slope. This is, well, I think I have, yeah, you can see this is a hundred. So this is 180 foot. And down here in the bottom, about 250 foot, okay? And so what this is is just a real slow, gradual slope. And you can see all these little spots where there's a little hole here, a little hole there, um, little hole there, a little hole there. There happens to be a little piece of something growing, um, a little hole there. And so what I'm doing is I'm fishing from here to here all the way down this slope. But the key is this: the fish aren't congregated everywhere on this. The fish are burrowed in. Think of catfish in a river. Okay, catfish don't all live in one big hole in the river. A catfish will dig a hole or waller out a hole, and he'll live in his hole. Okay, and the next hole may be 20 feet away, or 50 feet away, or 100 feet away. Okay, so to catch a whole bunch of catfish, you'd have to go from hole to hole to hole. Okay, same thing with this bottom for bottom fish. Basically, you have a bottom fish here, a bottom fish here, one there, everyone there, everyone there. And if I anchored up and fished this traditionally, I'd catch whichever one I was anchored up on, I'd catch that one. But this fish living in this hole is not going to swim to where my bait is while I'm anchored up here. Yep, follow. Okay, so everybody with the, especially with the trolling motors coming out, everybody's like, oh man, I got a trolling motor. I'm going to stop. I'm going to be able to keep us right on the spot and I'm going to catch more bottom fish. In shore, I agree 100%. Um, if you don't like anchoring or, or don't want to anchor, a trolling motor um, will keep you over a piece of structure, a community piece of structure and allow you to fish your baits in the place where all the fish are going to communally, uh, you know, hunt. Um, here, however, Um, stopping the boat will literally let you catch that fish there and only that one. You have to figure out how to make a drift so that you cover the entire thing, the entire piece of structure to catch multiple fish. And this is where the deep water stuff is completely different than the near shore bottom.
0: I follow, I follow that logic. So I guess we're talking about drifting. But before that, one question I have is like, just like there's fish spread out down the slope, you know, at 160, 175, you know, at the different spots you point at, if I just picked one of those depths, like 175, and we drifted along 175, are there going to be multiple fish hold up at 175, or is it important to drift down the slope or up
2: the slope? Okay, great question. And so, Here's the here here's what happens once you find this bottom. So you're trolling along and you you see the slope, okay, and you're going uh, inshore to offshore, and you can see the slope, and you decide you want to try and bottom fish on this piece of bottom. The question you just asked depends on the day, and it can change during the day while you're fishing. Um, it's complicated, is the answer. Um, What I have found are the best days uh, where you catch the most variety of fish is when you can drift from either the high side, the shallower side to the deeper side or or vice versa. Um, But there are days when you don't drift that way, where you drift in a constant um, parallel drift down the break. So, for instance, like you just asked 175 foot so the top of the ledge may go from 150 uh to the bottom of the slope maybe 250 280 foot um and there are days when you drift parallel with the break and you stay in a constant depth um those days are actually more complicated to figure out the bite because um not all fish relate to the same depth or on the same part of that slope um so okay for instance um when i'm drifting down the slope and i can cover all of the water depth i can tell after four or five drifts okay the scamps are on the top today they like the way the current's moving the scamps are on the top edge the gags are on the bottom edge the reds are on the bottom edge um the trigger fish are on the top edge um the blue line tile fish are in the middle um uh, the mutton snappers or yellowtail snappers or mangrove snappers are in the middle. Um, and so I can kind of adjust my set and go, okay, if I let's say I've got enough groupers for the day and I just need to catch trigger fish or I want to target a blue line. My drift is shorter because I go up and I stop at say, you know, 175 and I drift to 200 and I stop and I pull back up instead of making the whole drift from 150 to 280, um, that could be a half a mile drift. Now I'm targeting a piece of that bottom. And so maybe my drifts now a quarter of a mile or, or less.
0: Okay. I mean, I, I follow all that. And then just out of curiosity, if you could pick it, would you prefer to drift from high to low or from low to high? If you had control over if that I can
2: control it. Right. So <clears throat> the answer is I prefer to go from shallow to deep and the reason is i can control my bait being on the bottom more effectively in a vertical presentation if i'm drifting from deep to shallow by the time your lead hits the bottom and you start to drift you're going up the hill so you actually would have to take line up and reconnect to the bottom to keep a vertical presentation if not, if you just start drifting and keep the uh, weight on the bottom, your your line's going to slope out because the boat is now shallower, but you still have the same amount of line out. So your line is going to scope out in front of you. Yep. Um, I prefer to have it where I start shallow, I hit the bottom, I can drift for a few seconds until I feel the weights off, drop a little bit more line out hit reconnect to the bottom do the same thing and i it's called mending i keep mending line to maintain connection to the bottom but it it allows me to kind of pull away from the bottom instead of drag up the bottom um you also hang up less um but you have a better sense of what the bottom feels like and if you're getting a bite um and then like you just asked some days you don't get the choice you, some some days you have to fish the way it's it's presented to you um But if I had my druthers, I would go shallow to deep.
0: And then I guess just to follow up, because I know, like, one, people are so curious about where, and two, I also hear this, like, they would love some help reading their machines better. So how is it, again, if you could help the person who's watching this go, this is the kind of slope you want to look at and try, this is the kind of slope you want to
2: move on. So
0: what advice can you give us so that we're not just, we're giving ourselves the best chance.
2: Yep. Yeah. Okay. So here, this is, this is what I tell people when they're on my boat and they're watching my machine and they're trying to learn. So let's say we go to the break and we're trolling. And I, I suggest if you're going, if you, if you don't know where to start to start putting, you know, put lines out and start trolling. Um, and the key to this is get to the break. Basically that's 180 foot of water. Control offshore and make S-turns and go either north or south down the edge. So you're going to go from, say, 180 to 300 and then back, and you're going to make nice S-turns, and you're going to see the slope. You're actually going to see the machine go down, and then when you turn it 300 and come back up, you're going to see the bottom go right back up, and it's going to stop at about 180, uh, you know, between 180 and 150 typically, and it'll kind of bottom out between 300 and 350 um, and this is what I tell people when you're looking at that machine and you're making those S turns is to look for amberjack marks, um, on the break, um, basically on that slope, there could be fish anywhere on that slope, but I, I find that I, there are more fish, um, where there's life. So, Um, for instance, if there's a part of the slope that has more bottom fish on it, the amberjacks know it and they live right above it. So, um, we're trolling along, we're going down the slope. I have a little blip and I can kind of show you on this machine.
0: Yeah. And and show me how you determine it's an amberjack too. Uh, That was the question I was thinking.
2: Okay. So on, on this picture here, um, as we're going down the slope, like, so there's a group of fish here. There's a group of fish here. These are primarily small bottom fish um, and Almaco jacks. Same thing here. Here it's a mix of Almaco jacks, and then these really big marks are either big amber jacks or they're sharks. Okay. Um, but this grouping here on the break is primarily jacks of some sort, either Almacos or uh, genuine amber jacks. Um, And they'll be disconnected from the bottom. So when you're looking at it, they'll be disconnected. The bottom's here. They're a couple of feet off the bottom. And they can come all the way up. They can come high in the water column. But this, to me, signals jack. And then all the life near it is live. And there's a lot of stuff there. Because they're eating all of those bottom fish also. If it's small enough to fit in their mouth, they'll eat it. Um, But that gives me the first kind of... um, you know, indication that that would be a good place to drop a bait.
0: Okay. That makes sense.
2: Um, Now I will say this too. I typically will move along and the, the breaks different than fishing inshore on, on structure, the break um, with that mud. um, There are times when fish congregate more than others. So for instance, the reason that um, one of the reasons that gruber fishing is closed the first four months of the year is because gags go offshore to spawn. Okay. Um, and so there are times of the year where, where there are more gags offshore, uh, more reds offshore, more scamps offshore. Um, there are all those species out there all the time. But there are times when more fish congregate um, than other times. Um, and so the break's kind of a living thing. So, like I tell people every three months, it's completely different. And that's true based on water temperature. So, like right now, grouper season just opened, and I fished. Uh, I fished the day after it opened on the second. And um, you know what's kind of crazy is there's still a ton of gags offshore still spawning, okay, more than we would normally see in the dead of summer when the water's hot because they're they're moving inshore to feed more. Um, and there's still a ton of scamps out there right now. So um, you know the diversity changes so much. So when I when I find a place that has amberjacks on the slope, I start there, and then I prospect, you know, up to a half mile away in both directions to find out where the best variety is um, based on the time of year.
0: Okay. Um, I have one other question, and this is a little bit different direction. I actually thought about it earlier today when I knew I was going to be talking to you. So as far as current. I mean, there's no way to know what you're looking at until you get out there. Is that right? Like you just, you can't forecast it. You can't even check it. And then what is in Rick Croson's mind too much current, like might
2: as well troll. Okay. So that's a great question. And that was my next actual point for, for doing this bottom fishing in the deep. So here's the deal. I explained that the fish are scattered out. There may be 50 to hundred to 300 feet between each grouper. Okay. Cause they're living in their own individual little hole. Okay, so you have to be able to drift. And so sometimes you get offshore and there's zero current. Those days are the worst days to try and bottom fish in the deep. Um, Just like if you show up on the break and you drop 24 ounces to the bottom, and before you get a chance to flip the reel and gear and feel the bottom, you're already floating away. And let's say there's four or five knots of current. It's almost impossible to fish the bottom on those days as well. Now there's a trick to that day uh, that I'll get to in a second. But um, you honestly need to have a drift that allows you to cover water. Um, So the ideal day is, uh, whichever direction it is, the ideal day is anywhere from a knot to say three knots of tide or current, and going in any direction, you just have to figure out if they're, if they're feeding more deep or more shallow or in the middle, and then, and then you make your drifts correspond with that. So you make really short drifts if they're in the middle, or a top or bottom if they're feeding through the entire column, um, then you can make nice long drifts. Um, or, and if you want a lot of different species, you can make nice long drifts, because you know as you're fishing in the deep, you're going to catch certain species, and as you go in the middle, it's going to change, and then when you get to the top, it's going to change. Um, so on those days, it's actually kind of nice cause your box is, um, you know, very colorful at the end of the day. Um, if you want to target a certain species after you make two or three drifts, you should know kind of where each species is kind of tar, you know, uh, setting up and then you can make shorter drifts just to target that zone.
0: Yeah. All right. I mean, I follow all that one to three and, and then just figuring out what you like, what you really like. I mean, all that makes sense.
2: Okay. So here's the trick about, here's the okay. trick. you're talking about fast and slow. So when a really, really slow current day, when everybody thinks it would be the best, to bottom fish, and it's the worst. The reason is like I say, you can't cover any water. So right. if you get lucky and hit the bottom, you may catch the grouper that's there, but you're not going to do that very often. And if there's a hundred feet between each grouper and you stop randomly and drop to the bottom, you know, the chances of you hitting that one spot is just, it's, it's you know, it's not real good. Um, And then when you hear the days where everybody's like, oh, the current's too stiff. There aren't, you know, the groupers are tucked in their holes and it's not going to be good. Um, For me, in the back of my mind, yes, they're correct in in the statement that general bottom fishing, grouper fishing, catching multiple species of grouper is going to be tough. And I probably wouldn't do that. I probably wouldn't bottom fish specifically if there was a lot of tide. Okay. But over the last 20 years of me doing this, I can tell you my five largest personal groupers, okay, all gags, um, all over 50 pounds, have all come on super, super stiff current days, and they've all come on long jigs. And the reason is this, a gag, a big gag has a tail like this, okay. And he can push a ton of water. He's kind of like an amberjack. He has a really streamlined face. He can tuck his jaw up. He can t- he can send his peck fins out to the side. And with that tail, he can come up in the water column. And as stuff comes by, he can shoot over and eat it. And if he gets nervous or scared, he can go right back down into the bottom. The reason that I caught those groupers, my personal best, on days when it was super, super um, hard current, is because I was jigging from the bottom up, say, 100, 150 feet in, say, 275 to 350 feet. And those gags were up off the bottom far enough where when I hooked them, I had a chance to kind of tire them out before they got me back down in there and broke me off. Okay. Um, and so in the back of my mind on really stiff current days, even if my my whole goal in, in that you know, trip is to troll, I know in the back of my mind that at the end of the day, I'm going to spend the last few minutes dropping jigs in prime places where I think there'd be a gag laying because that's a chance I'm going to, I'm going to have a chance at catching a, a real true, you know, biggest ever, you know, um, especially for clients that don't get to, a chance to go to the deep, you know, it's a, it's a time to catch your personal best.
0: So how far off the bottom will they travel for, to hit that long jig, like 50 feet? more,
2: all of the ones that I've caught have been 50 feet minimum, some of them as far up as 150 feet.
0: Wow. And the reason
2: I say that is because we're using metered line. So I'm dropping the jig to the bottom. And I may have jigged So the metered line I'm using changes color every 25 feet. And sometimes I may be 678 colors into that jig before I finally get bit. Um, now we'll say it's only on the days when the current is the is the stiffest that you get that chance. Um, I think they're using the current to blow food to them, and they're using that big tail and that big mouth to be able to ambush stuff that they wouldn't normally be able to feed on, like small skipjacks, small albacores, you know, small jacks, um, more pelagic style food um, that a grouper would love to eat, but just doesn't get a chance because they don't come down to the bottom very often.
0: Okay, I follow I mean, I follow all that. So I think with, by pulling out that long jig, that was part of our segue into what to use.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, um, everybody knows that I love to jig and pop and, um, bottom fishing is no different. Um, this past, uh, this past week when I fished on the second, um, I had a group of guys that did nothing but jig and pop. I didn't have any trolling stuff on gear on board. I didn't have any bait and I didn't have any bottom rods. And we, we had a great day on groupers and tunas. Uh, all on jigs. But um, like I said before, long jigs, uh, great for all different kinds of groupers, especially gags and scamps. Um, The reason that a long jig works great is because the profile of it is sharp at the bottom and sharp at the top, meaning that when I hit the bottom, I can jig up, say, 50 to 75 feet, and it's going to go through the water column fast, and it's going to sink fast when I drop it back down. So I can drop to the bottom, jig, say, 50, 75 feet, open my bale, let it go back to the bottom. And I can cover that water column until I have a long angle on my, until my, my line is in front of me at more than 35, 40 degrees. Then I'm going to either jig it up or crank it up and drop it again. Okay. There's also some jigs that are designed to bottom fish. This is a Rosca jig. Um, and the reason that it's designed to bottom fish is because it's weighted at the bottom and it's actually got a, a, a slight, taper to it where when you jig it actually it actually it wobbles on the way up if it, you have to force it up but it sinks real fast so when you jig it instead of the long jig shooting up and then fluttering down but being able to go down fast this jig you have to force it to go up but since it's all rear weighted it falls real fast when you let it go back down um, so this is a great jig if you wanted to hit the bottom don't crank up any slack jig it hard kind of force it up, let it fall back down. And as soon as it touches, jig it again, kind of maintain contact. Once you get an angle again, where your line's out in front of you, crank it up or jig it up and then drop again. Keep it as vertical as possible.
0: All right. A couple of follow-ups. So yep. it are most it's fallen fast. Is that when most of the bites are, is on the fall. And in general, you would have them jig it up. It's not like flounder buck tailing where you just bounce it off the bottom you're bringing it up more than just bouncing it off the bottom.
2: Correct. So, um, if I'm using the short jig, um, I'm kind of like bucktail jigging. Um, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not being soft about it. It's not a gentle jig. I'm jigging it hard. So the jig's going to get off the bottom. Um, let's say we're in 300 feet of water and I jig it hard. That thing's getting off the bottom 10, 12, 15 feet before it falls back down. And it's going to do it fast, okay? These jigs are anywhere from 4, 8, 12 ounces. So they're going to, they're going to fall and maintain the bottom quickly. Um, I want it to be a very fast, as soon as I touch the bottom, jig it again scenario. Not a soft, let it hit the bottom, kind of twitch it. I want it to be aggressive. Um, jigging while drifting means that the jig is hitting the bottom vertically and you're moving horizontally because it's now going up and kind of going in an A. So it goes up and then it comes back down, but it doesn't land where it hit the first time. So a grouper or any bottom fish has one chance. He sees it, he's either gonna eat it right then or he's not. And yes, they typically eat it on the fall. Um, that's not always the case, but typically you're gonna hook them on the fall. Even if you are jigging and they're swallowing it, by the time you give that jig slack, that's when they're going to actually get it in their mouth where you can get a hook in them.
0: Okay. And other jigs that you like, or is that your top two, like, or the, the
2: two? Well, so, um, I didn't bring any to show, but, um, this is where slow pitch jigging is kind of making its mark. Um, slow pitch jigging around here is, is great. The problem with it is we have a lot of sharks. Um, but slow pitch jigging is basically uh, a combination of the two jigs I showed you. The jig itself doesn't have, um, isn't being moved up and down the column a lot what it's doing is you're keeping it near the bottom and you're bringing it up very slowly but the as you drift the water pressure makes the jig vibrate and and so it's going up and down but it's doing this vibration thing like this instead of going up and then down um and so slow pitch jigging is very very effective it's actually a ton of fun um but with the tackle that you have to use in this part of the world, the sharks are going to eat you more than 50% of the time. So, um, I didn't do, I didn't really get into that, but, um, for me, I would say a long jig is number one, a short fat, you know, um, bottom banging jig is number two. Um, and then primarily I'm still using bait because we do have a lot of amberjacks. And I don't want to hear anybody, you know, call you up or call me up and go, man, he told me that I could go out there and catch groupers on a jig. You can catch groupers on a jig for sure, I promise you. But you are going to catch jacks on a jig, I promise you, for sure. So I don't want to hear anybody complain about all I caught were jacks. Um, <laughs> so we'll move on to bait too, but anyway.
0: All right, let's move on to bait.
2: Okay. Um, so um, – I use the same basic setup I use inshore okay this is um, a commercial bottom rig for lack of a better term um, this is a three-way swivel okay I have a short loop and it, it, it all that does is connect my weight okay my weight's loop right on there and then my leader coming off the other end is 36 inches long and it terminates with a circle hook okay um everybody makes a circle hook that is um short shanked heavy metal um and it has to be a circle hook when you're using natural bait uh, for bottom fishing okay um this happens to be an owner um, they call it a reef and rig hook um it's just a great all-around heavy wire hook um this is an 8-0. I typically don't use them much bigger than this, um, mainly because the fish that we're catching are going to swallow the bait. And so I don't need a really big hook. I'm not trying to lip hook them or, or jaw hook them. These fish are going to be hooked down where, where, you know, a smaller hook is going to hook a really big fish. <clears throat> and it'll also allow you to catch things like bee liners and trigger fish. Um, so it doesn't limit you. But you don't want to use a, a light, small trigger fish hook, like you were actually trigger fishing, because out there in the deep, um, there are gigantic things that live there, and they're going to break your hooks. And so, use uh, use a heavy hook. And you know, if you want to catch B liners, move inshore a little bit and put a small hook on and catch them. But when you are on the break, use something strong.
0: Okay. Um, I was going to ask, like anything to know any pitfalls and this could go for the jigs as well like you know like using crimps versus knots um leader mono versus fluoro anything along those lines
2: not necessarily now you see mine are made with crimps yes Um, and the reason i do that is because um, an aluminum crimp is extremely strong i've done all the testing for myself knots you know are fine too as long as you do good quality knots the thing about it is i make a lot of these at a time Couple hundred at a time. I go through like a thousand bottom rigs a, a, you know, a year. Um, you know, we have a lot of sharks. We have a lot of rough bottom. Um, you know, you just go through a lot of rigs. I typically use 100 to 130 to 150 for my leader. Um, I used to use a lot lighter leader for the lead, but with the way lead prices are, I still now I'm using 100 pound leader for that too. Um, me breaking off the lead versus breaking off the hook. Um, doesn't really save me any money. If I'm going to lose it, I'd rather just lose it all. Um, so I'm using pretty heavy leader for my lead. Um, sometimes you get the lead back. Sometimes you lose everything. Um, and then as far as the, um, as far as the length, I, I like I just have found for me, 36 inches is the right length. Um, if you go to Florida, they're using 40 foot leaders. Um, uh, they have to hand line their fish up once the lead comes up. Um, haven't tried that here yet because i haven't needed to um we're catching a mix of all of your normal bottom fish and the subtropicals once the water gets warm so um in my in my personal opinion 36 inches is perfect um i don't know that there's a wrong answer whether it's 24 inches or whether it's 40 feet or somewhere in between but for me it's real simple all my rigs are the same and um i will say on the lead side I'm using 20 and 24 ounces in the Gulf Stream. If I can't hit the bottom and hold the bottom with 24 ounces, um, it's not worth trying to, to bottom fish that day. If okay. That makes
0: sense. Yeah. That does make sense. Hey, uh, just a, another question. So, why is it, I mean, Amberjack to me seemed pretty aggressive. Why is it that natural bait isn't an Amberjack method? Like, why do they leave that alone more than the shiny?
2: So, Jacks um, are kind of like I describe them as cats. Okay, so if and I hate cats, but if you've ever been around a cat and played with a cat, if you play with a cat slow like you would a dog, okay, um, they have no interest in that. If you take their cat toy and start taking it away from them and purposely trying to take it away from them, you know how excited they get. You know that's what an amberjack is. He's kind of like the mahi. The mahi is the same way. I hear people all the time say, Oh man, I was, I was throwing a top and a mahi came up to it and I, I let it sit there and he just circled around it, but you didn't eat it. Well, they're the opposite of a tuna. So, you know, a tuna, you want to throw a popper out make a splash, let it sit there. They're going to eat it because they see the silhouette. A mahi is the opposite. You throw it, you throw a popper out there and a mahi comes racing over to it. I'm going to try and take it away from him as fast as possible because now I know he's engaged and he, he's gone, he, his mind has gone blank. And now it's just a matter of eating that bait because it's trying to get away and he wants to prove that he can catch it. Um, jacks are kind of the, the, the same. They're, they're in that world. If you drop a jig down there and you physically jig a jig, a neighbor jack's going to eat it. Okay, that's, that's what they do. They chase bait that's actively trying to get away. Um, you take a natural bait, um, and, I, and I'll explain what I use for natural baits, but you take a natural bait and put it on the bottom and gently drift along the bottom, you're not going to entice jacks initially. You're gonna catch jacks because they eat squid and cut bait and everything else. Um, And I don't use live bait on the bottom, because again, you drop a live bait to the bottom, the live bait's kicking and struggling, um, and amberjack's gonna eat it faster. so like most people hear, oh, pinfish or menhaden or sardines, cigar minas are live, are great for grouper fishing. They are on those inshore rocks. Um, and I would, I would suggest you take a, pin, a tank full of pinfish with you anytime you go gag fishing less than 120 feet of water. If you want to catch a ton of jacks, take them to 300 feet of water and drop them to the bottom. Okay. Um, you may catch a grouper too because a grouper is going to eat it out there, but you're going to catch a lot more jacks than you will groupers.
0: I gotcha. Hey, let's let me uh, let's have you talk about bait. I think we're coming to the end of our time, but I definitely know Mm -hmm. that our listeners, viewers want to hear your thoughts on
2: bait to put on that rig. All right. For me, it's real simple. Squid. okay, whole squid, five pound boxes or one pound boxes. But five pound box will last usually a last uh, four or five people fishing for the majority of the day just to kind of give you an idea. And the way you want to drop a squid on your rig is very, very important. That's why I have this fake squid sitting here in my rig. When you drop a squid, this is the way they move. They move mantle first, okay? So you don't want to hook him any other way. And when you're dropping in such deep water, you don't want this bait to be spinning or parachuting down. So very important. You take your hook and you take the tip of the mantle and you take the hook and you go through one time at the tip of the mantle just like this, okay? And then you take the hook and you go all the way through a little bit and you turn the hook around and you come back through the mantle and come out the other side like this. Okay, so that's the way it's going to look on your hook. Okay. Okay. So now when I drop it, the squid's going to fall naturally. It's not going to spin, it's going to actually kick a little bit, but it won't spin. And when it hits the bottom, it's going to drag across the bottom like this. Okay that's the perfect way to drop for any kind of bottom species if you hook them in the middle and they helicopter down you're going to get your rig all tangled up um and it's going to be a mess okay um my main bait for going offshore to catch groupers and all kinds of bottom fish but my number one bait is a squid if i only had one one choice it'd be a squid every time i wouldn't even hesitate um i never go bottom fishing without squid period um now There are days when you can catch them good on pieces of cut albacore or, you know, any other cut bait that you would have. Small strips, small cubes, something that's not going to spin is is preferred. Um, There are also days when you would catch them good on uh, like a cigar minna or a Spanish chardine. Um, But again, um, the number one food source on the bottom in deep water is squid. And so everything eats a squid, large, small, doesn't matter. Everything eats a squid. This is my first. And and if, if I was pinned down, it'd be my only choice.
0: All right, man, that's easy enough. And
2: so uh, uh, go ahead. I'm going to give you two more baits. And yeah. This sounds crazy. Okay. I'm going to hold these up and show you. <laughs> what? What? You do a ton of inshore trips. Uh, I know this, you know what these are. They're not, you know, not like opening a kitty out of the bag. Um, <laughs> but this is a gulp four inch shrimp that you would use for flounder fishing. Yep. This is a six inch curly tail that you'd use for cobia fishing or striped bass fishing or anything else. Yep. These on your actual rig as a replacement for your squid work great. So you're out there trolling along. You take a bottom rod. Don't worry about taking any bait. Take a couple bags of gulp that you'd be using anyway. Drop them down. I'm telling you, everything in the world eats a gulp.
0: All right. I have no reason not to believe you, Rick Rosen. for the history of our relationship. You've never given me a reason not to believe you. What about inshore? Would you try that gulp inshore? Like, I, mean, I tell you with what. inshore grouper 80 to 100?
2: Yes. A gulp on a bucktail is hard to beat on days um, when there's a lot of junk around, and a lot of trash fish around. A uh, gulp on a three to four ounce bucktail is hard to beat. Um, but for whatever reason, a gulp shrimp on the bottom in 350 350- they're the 350 feet of water. We'll catch a scamp like nobody's business. I have no idea why.
0: Huh. I'm intrigued, man. You just dropped a bomb here at the end of this episode. I hope people watch till the end. I hope they weren't like, yeah, I know how to tie a rig. <laughs> What am I watching for? (laughs) Man, that's awesome. So here, to finish this out, though, like, you're just as comfortable trolling as you are bottom fishing. As far as the Living Waters, you know, calendar, is there a time where you push people more for trolling, time for more for bottom fishing, or is it just a a week-by-month-by-season
2: call? Yeah, so it's a seasonal thing for us. Obviously, you know, in the the spring and fall is your prime trolling times. It's when most of your pelagics are are migrating through. So, um, And then in the wintertime, when bottom fishing is closed, I'm I'm typically jigging or popping. Um, And then in the summertime, we really target all these bottom fish from um, the end of June all the way through the end of September. When it's oppressively hot, that's when the bottom fishing is the best offshore. Um, That's also when we have our greatest species count. We'll catch things that we don't normally see here, like mutton snappers, yellowtail snappers, mangrove snappers, um, all kinds of weird triggerfish like uh, queens and um, uh, what is the other one called? Um, offshore, not offshore triggerfish, but um, there's a pelagic type of triggerfish. Um, we catch a lot of those in the de- dead of the summertime. The hotter, the better, really, for those. And, and so there's really not a lot of targets to troll for, um, you know, in, in July and August other than billfish but that is a prime time to go out there and bottom fish until you're just too hot and then try to catch a billfish on the way home
0: all right man well you've given me a lot of knowledge the best i could do for you is to tell you how tall 10 giraffes are stacked on top of each other i don't think we're even but man i i love that you're back on our podcast and it's always good to talk to you man
2: thanks for having me i really do appreciate it guys you're doing an awesome job
0: thank you thank you rick Croson, billy
1: Yeah, what's up, Gary? What an episode, man. I'm going to
0: guess at Billy's best takeaway.
1: Yeah, I wonder what everyone's best takeaway is going to be, man. What the freak? Huh? I didn't expect that at all. I was like, this guy's lying. He doesn't. I know. He's too good a guy. Like, you got to take me out there and prove it, (laughs) Rick. Dude, Rick and I are
0: going to take you out there and we're going to amberjack you until you say,
1: Oh, Uncle. Dude, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, that happened the last time we went I out there. I know it did. <laughs> yeah. I, actually, Rick was like, look, if you drop it past a certain line, the certain, because the, the, for people who haven't went, like, the line is colored, right? Right. If I remember correctly. Yeah, you're right. It's like, don't drop it past a certain color. Otherwise, you're going to hook up on an average Jack and you're going to wish you never did. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So about the end of the trip, which was the, it, the dumbest time i could have done it i'm like i'm gonna catch an amberjack i even like zach hurt Kirby was on that trip i'm like watch this i'm gonna i'm gonna do what he said not to mess with the sharks a little bit i hooked up on an amberjack Kirby hooked up on a shark and captain Rig was like i'm gonna kill you because guys are idiots He's like, You're idiots and we're over there i think i like begged somebody to help me they're like no no <laughs> idiot oh dude i'm telling you that if you want to have a fun trip Get you know how many of our other buddies like max it out so you don't you know you can split up the tab and go on a trip like that with with Rick man it is so much fun it's it is. too much fun it is I mean I still talk about it all the time <laughs> you do <laughs> like you every do. chance I get <laughs> yeah it was too much fun oh and he even caught like a sailfish on top water or some crazy I can't crazy. remember yeah, yeah he was like watch this I'm gonna show you how this popper works and here comes a sailfish and I'm like What's happening right now? And then he breaks out gulp on this show, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "What is going on, dude? This guy's innovative. Whatever. He's like ran out of bait. Like, oh, I got something over here. <laughs> Threw on some gulp. Anyway, Gary, I, I guess we're done. I could go all night about how fun this is. <laughs> yeah, man,
0: it's a good time. But yeah, well, uh, let's wrap by thanking again Marine Warehouse Center. I like to point out that they're just not serving the fishing boating community, man. They make it a point to be a part of the fishing boating community. And from my vantage point, it's easy to see, man, they participate in a lot of our fishing tournaments. They don't just sponsor them, but they put a boat in every time. They're at the parties. They're at the awards. And same thing with the podcast, with the schools, man. Those guys just, they want to serve the community as well as sell to them. But, man, it's on their list to serve as well.
1: Absolutely, man. Well, we'll see you next episode, Gary. Thanks, man.
2: Yeah, dude. I'm